Stephen, once again, we have Tim Ferriss, author of The 4-Hour Workweek, investor, podcaster extraordinaire with us. How's it going, Tim? It's going great. Stephen, how's it going with you? Not as good as Tim. <laughs> Although, Stephen, I want to now promote your Footy for Two promote podcast. Promote it, brother. I can't believe you're doing a podcast with your 15-year-old son. Congratulations. I wish my daughters had enough interest in me to want to do a podcast. I'm about to start crying about to do a podcast with me. So, well, job. I don't think it's about you. I Are either your daughters super into... Look, basically what he does with his life is soccer. He loves, loves, loves soccer. But then like one night he came and said, you know, Dad, I think I want to do a soccer podcast and I want you to co-host it. And I said, well, I'm happy to sit in the chair next to you, but you're the one that knows everything. So we decided it's going to be like a kid educating his father. And he's made me a fan, but it's just fun to have a kid exercise their passion for whatever it is. I don't think it matters what it is. What well, to, to exercise it with you, though, is a, a specific pleasure, I think. I like it a lot, but I'm guessing that one of your kids, I mean, seriously, podcasting is like this version of expression that didn't really exist, even though the technology was certainly there. I mean, 100 years ago, you could make a recording pretty easily. But why don't you try to make a little family podcast? All right, I'm going to try Why don't That's, you wrangle the girls? It's going to be my challenge of the day this weekend. I, okay. Do you have a question for Tim? I do have a question for Tim. So, Tim... Recently, you wrote a great article, or uh, might have even been more than one, about why you were no longer that interested in investing. You've been a very successful angel investor. It was a surprising article. It was talked about. And you mentioned something about uh, if you're not going to be, I'm paraphrasing, but if you're not going to essentially be the best at something, let other people who are going to be the best at something uh, do it for you or help you. So the question is not directly related to that, but indirectly, how do you personally find out what you're uniquely qualified to be the best at. Because you don't know in advance. You kind of have to do something for a long period of time before you're the best at something. How do you kind of find out? And this is a big question. It's a great question, James. A question we Way all better get. than you usually ask, I have to say. <laughs> uh, it's probably Tim, true. you're really raising his level. Appreciate I know. It. The bar is up. I got to press Tim Ferriss. So, yeah. How do you find out what you're going to be good at? Well, I think where I started and one of the seeds that led to that article on the startup vacation or how to say no when it matters most was a conversation I had with Kamal Ravika. And uh, I was doing a lot of soul searching and I realized in the game of investing, given the changing environment, I had to either do it full time or withdraw because the things were getting so noisy, it required more man hours and effort to do the same amount to achieve even a modicum of the same results that I'd had to date. And were you fearing that because the dynamic had changed or because the scale had changed that you were going to get beat too easily? It wasn't that I was worried of getting beaten. It's that I told Kamal I was considering creating a fund and moving into this category of more venture capitalist. And that would require that I make certain sacrifices, one of which would probably be less writing. Mm -hmm. And Kamal just said, please don't stop writing. He said, if he, he's, and he said to me, I've seen you at events where people have approached you afterwards in tears because of having lost 80 pounds, 100 pounds on a slow-carb diet, for instance. I'm paraphrasing again, but he said, you're not going to have that impact as a venture mm -hmm. capitalist. And this, the next part is what really struck me, and I'll bring it back full circle. He said, if you don't invest in a company, there are going to be 20 or 100 people in line behind you who will do the same thing, and the entrepreneur will view you as interchangeable. Mm -hmm. So the question that I would ask myself is maybe a precursor to what could I be good at or best at, and that is, where am I 
least replaceable. Right. What's your comparative uh, advantage? That's yeah. interesting. So, so okay, so the argument there was I'm less replaceable as a writer than as an investor because if a company's good, other people will recognize it, they'll be and they provide the same service that you're essentially providing. So, let's say sitting in a cubicle in the middle of the country and I'm trying to figure out what I could be good at, what I could switch to. How do I start to rifle through all the things that potentially I'm the least replaceable at? Which is sort of a good way to put it, but I, you got to wrap your mind sure. around it. Yeah, I would actually read a few different things. I would read the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, the original edition. I would read... Why is that? I'll tell you. And there, there's another book by the same set of authors, recent trial called Positioning, that I would read. And the reason for that is that... Many people who are considering becoming entrepreneurs or pursuing a craft, having the conversation that we're having right now, right? This internal debate about what they could be good at, what they could do differently, et cetera, try to be incrementally better than someone else, than other people in the abstract. And I think it is far easier and more rewarding to try to be different and to determine where you can express your unique weirdness and all of its glory <laughs> with all of its foibles. And the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, in one of the chapters at least, highlights the concept of creating a category, a new category, and owning it as opposed to trying to dominate an existing category. And I think just as a way of thinking and a way of being, that's been a huge boon and a relief to me to know that I don't have to compete with everybody else in game A, B, C, D, or E. Like We're all choosing the games that we play in life, and it's like you might as well just create your own game so that you're setting the rules of engagement. So, so I just want to even understand that more. Like, How would I go about thinking how to create my own game? Well, I think that it's a, ultimately thinking for me is asking yourself questions. Right? Thinking is asking questions and answering questions in your own head. And what a book like The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing would do or a book like The Six Thinking Hats or Lateral Thinking by Edward de Bono would do is give you a different set of questions to explore. That has been hugely valuable for me in so much as you have to have the right questions because the answers you can get the right answers to the wrong questions that will lead you down a path that's very unfulfilling. So for me... Oh, for, we get the wrong answers to the right questions on this podcast all the time, <laughs> so you have to do the reverse. Right, well, well though, if you do that, if you, if you, for instance, I'll give you an example. When I was in college, I was at Princeton undergraduate, very competitive place, and what happened? Only a few companies or industries would come to recruit at Princeton. Investment banks like Goldman Sachs, management consultant firms like McKinsey, the students didn't stop to ask whether those were the right choices. They just observed that those were the most coveted jobs. So they competed to get jobs at Goldman Sachs and McKinsey. So the question was, how do I get a job at McKinsey or Goldman Sachs? And everyone competed for that. And then they got those jobs. And lo and behold, two years later, were completely miserable, burned out, except for maybe a handful of people who were well-designed for that. So that is just by illustration a way to say, before you really pursue with all of your effort answering a question, it, it makes sense to step back and generate alternative questions to really try to determine if you're, in this case, that's what I would consider playing a game. Question of the day. We'll return in a minute. Thanks. Today's episode is brought to you by the Art of Charm podcast. Jordan Harbinger, the host and founder of the Art of Charm, brings together entrepreneurs, artists, thinkers, leaders, and all-around interesting people 
to discuss relationships, attraction, life hacking, and success. He and his guests work to teach you powerful life skills such as influence and persuasion. You'll most likely encounter some of the same great guests on his show that you're familiar with from QOD, including our guest hosts Tim Ferriss and Brian Koppelman and our very own James Altucher, who's also interviewed Jordan for his own podcast. The aim of this addictive show is to train you how to be more productive and a better professional, including tips on how to read body language, network, and negotiate. Topics have included how to create confidence, how to get people to like and trust you, how to keep things fresh in relationships, productivity, time management, biohacking, basically anything that will help you upgrade your brain so that you can become a high performer both at home and at work. You deserve an extraordinary life. Go to theartofcharm.com slash podcast or find The Art of Charm on iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. We really enjoy this show and think you will as well. I would argue that's almost like a muscle you have to exercise. 100%. So you kind of have to practice what are almost every day think about what are alternatives because at some point yeah. you'll come up with maybe one good one out of a, a hundred. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And but Let me play devil's advocate for one sec. So sure. what you said resonates with me and I would like to think that I look at the world sort of, you know, a little bit the same way as you're describing. I think, James, I would, I would say very much the same thing about you. But, you know, you just said something, let's say there's 10 recent Princeton grads or grads from anywhere and you said a bunch of them are not going to, it's not going to work out for them. It doesn't really fit. Goldman doesn't really fit their thing. But you said there's a handful for which they're designed well for that, right? Mm-hmm. So even that statement, which I, I found it interesting the way you put that and, and really remarkably accurate, it indicates that there are all different kinds of people with different design, different preferences, different Definitely. backgrounds and so on. So here's what I'm getting at. That was a long way to ask you the following question, which is this. When you describe, you know, the need and desire and the bounty of creating your own game, or, you know, a lot of people say it a different way, finding the thing that you're good at, finding your comparative advantage and so on, I sometimes worry that the kind of people who describe life in those terms are a relatively tiny subset of people who are able to do that Mm -hmm. and are trying to offer a prescription that's very generalizable for a bunch of people who may just not have the ability, the desire, the patience, the whatever, the risk tolerance, whatever, to do it. So I'm curious whether, like, because James said, you know, what would you say to the median American who's thinking Mm -hmm. about this? I'm curious how generalizable you think that advice is. Do you truly think that just about anybody who's motivated enough can really create their own game? This is a very fair question, and I think the... And it allows us to explore it in a very important way. So what I would say is I view almost everything I do in life as a two-week experiment. I view everything in as effectively a two-week experiment. And this gives me tremendous manufactured courage to try things because the decisions I'm making are almost always viewed in my mind as reversible right. or endable. For that reason, my advice, if I were to rephrase it, would be as a thought exercise, training yourself to ask, what else could explain this? What options am I not seeing? Is this the right question? What might other questions be? Because whether you start your own company or forge a unique path or not is secondary to that exercise. Mm -hmm. It's a prerequisite. And that type of questioning, asking yourself, well, I'm being offered, for instance, A and B choices. Is there an option C? If, if, if I had to create an option C, what would it look like? 
these are very, very helpful, not just coping mechanisms, but resiliency exercises that I think translate to everything. And uh, being able to, for instance, uh, spot a false dichotomy. If someone says, well, you, you can do A or B. Well, maybe it's not either or, maybe it's both end. You know, what if it were both end? What would that look like? These are questions that can apply to everything from improving your relationship with your spouse to negotiating with your boss to persuading your employees. It just translates everywhere. I think that's a critical point that people get locked into the A or B. And again, I think it's a muscle. You have to exercise what are all the other alternatives. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, negotiating with the boss, it's not a matter of just higher raise or lower raise. Maybe it's like, okay, I could work less hours and do a side business on the side, or maybe I'm going to work partly for you and partly for this other person. Or there might be all sorts of choices that haven't been thought of until you start thinking about it. Definitely. And I mean, just to, to give you some credit where credit is due, I've run into a number of your fans who have shared their experience with idea generation, trying to come up with 10 ideas a day and how in the beginning it's just like pushing a boulder uphill. It's hard. And then after two months, they have trouble containing it to 20 or 30 ideas in the first 10 or 15 minutes of getting up. And it is... They're better than me then because I, <laughs> I have a hard time still with 10 a day. But it's a facility. It's a motor pattern in a way that you have to exercise and it does get tremendously easy or it can get easier, I should, I should say. Not easy. It can get easier and that at a certain point you realize, at least for me, with these types of questions, it becomes reflexive. That, what does that mean? It, it just becomes a reflex or instinctive. So you, you start to immediately question the assumptions that people are making by the questions they're asking. And you're like, actually, I think there might be another explanation. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think there's more to this story. You know, what if there were a few other options? I know there aren't other options because you just said <laughs> I only have an area, but if there were other options, if we had a gun against our heads to choose other options, what would they look like? Right. Well, now that you mention it, there is another option. Yeah, right? exactly. All right, so let me just to, to bring it full circle and going back to James's original question, when you withdrew, when you publicly withdrew as the kind of investor that you were, I'm just curious if there was some hidden opportunity cost, some something that you discovered that you've been able to do or that came into your life that uh, was previously being occupied by that part of your mental bandwidth? I'm so much happier. I'm so much happier. Uh, and I know that may not seem like a direct answer to the question, but... That's actually a huge yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, benefit. Yeah, happiness doesn't yeah, count. There were, there, well, well, there were two... There were t there, I would say there are two realizations, and you would think at this point in my life, after doing so many weird experiments and trying so many things that are kind of off the reservation, that this would be obvious, but... I would say two observations uh, that are that that I would highlight for people who might be considering doing something like this. Like, you know what? This entire category of things I'm doing, I want to stop. I realized I'm not good at moderation. So mm -hmm. in the case of investing, if I said like a lot of people try to do, I'm only going to do one deal a quarter as opposed to 10 or 20 or 15, you still have to filter the same number of companies. So you don't really save any time. And that, I'm not good at moderation. That's true with booze. It's true with startups. So I have to do all or nothing. And... What I realized is two things. Number one, that there were many, many, many more benefits to cutting it out, excising it from my life than I could have predicted. And those that I did predict were already far and away, mm. I mean, worth the trouble. Worth yep. And then second, almost all of the problems that I expected to happen didn't happen. Like, <laughs> like the, the social blowback, my friends getting pissed, other investors putting me on a blacklist, all of these fears just never came to pass. And and I, I think it was, uh, here we go, it's, it's always either Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, or somebody else, but I think it was Mark Twain who said, you know, I've known a great many troubles, 
most of which I never had or something mm-hmm. along those ways. So nobody put a hit out on you? Nobody put a hit as out on As far as you know? As far as and I know. And if anything, it's actually better because less people are asking for your money. Yeah. It's always a drag from people, strangers come up to you and ask for money. It is, and I put it out publicly, which gives me a social accountability. Right. And it gives me a cognitive dissonance that helps me to hold myself you know, to my Tim, word. there's um, not too much in it. There's been a deal I've been thinking of trying to put together. <laughs> Could you invest in a podcast? <laughs> Well, I think that's the end of all of our podcasts forever. Oh, wait, wait, you're saying there's another one? Okay, well, right after this, we'll hear about it. Thanks again to today's sponsor, the Art of Charm podcast. Jordan Harbinger and his guests work hard, not unlike James and I do with questions of the day, to give away the knowledge for free that we and they have worked our whole lives to learn. You deserve an extraordinary life. Go to theartofcharm.com slash podcast or find The Art of Charm on iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. We really enjoy this show and think you will as well. Join us next time on Question of the Day, which will sound something like this. Does altruism really exist? Does anyone do good without something for themselves? And actually, I have a corollary. I have a corollary to that question. You almost had a coronary to that (laughs) question. Yeah, I almost had a coronary to that question. (laughs) I've been stuttering lately. 